welcome to the eDiscovery Basecamp with Steve and Jack, where we cover all things eDiscovery and beyond. Tune in each week for a new episode featuring hot eDiscovery topics, amazing guests, and several other surprises. Let's adventure together. Well, hey, welcome everybody to eDiscovery Basecamp. This is session number five. My name is Steve. And I'm Jack. Uh, thanks for joining us. Today we are talking about a uh, character topic. The title of this session is called Doing the Right Thing. We had a couple of stories from the past two weeks. Uh, one was the entitled The Christmas Miracle. The other was David and Goliath. And today we're just going to take the opportunity to talk about takeaways or lessons learned or better yet, where did character have an opportunity to show up mm. in those two stories? So doing the right thing is actually one of the uh, core values of CTEC. And why character is so important for our team being a part of our, our mission statement um, it's been something that we have been working on as a team throughout the, the pandemic time, and we've been encouraging our different team members to kind of invest in their own character growth as well as their team's character growth. And we're talking about you know a variety of concepts in that realm, and you know now we're reflecting on these projects that we've we've gotten through in these past stories that we've shared, and really where where that character kind of. Uh, shined through and where it was evident in uh, getting the right end result. Well, Steve, why is character so important? Why is character such a big part of these stories and of these projects? Well, I think first off, it's really tough to develop as a person if you don't focus on character. If you just kind of ride along in life and not even think about it, uh, there's a better chance that your character will uh, lay flat mm -hmm. or it will, uh, you know, kind of go in a in a downward direction. I hate hate to say that it sounds so bleak and negative, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. it's really like anything. You think about uh, raising a child. Uh, taking care of plants, mm. um, having a pet. If, if you don't pay attention to those things, if you don't do the right things, like feed, water, instruct, teach, uh, train, educate, etc., if you don't do some of the basic things that will help that uh, person, that animal, that object, they're not going to survive. They're not going to do well. Mm. Uh, there's a better chance that they're going to um, struggle in life. Uh, a plant is not going to grow if you don't water it. A child is probably not going to develop into a healthy adult if the parents are not actively engaged in a positive way. Mm. You can be overly engaged in a negative way with a child, but engaged in a positive way of teaching them and helping them to be responsible, thoughtful, caring human beings, that 
that takes work. It doesn't happen just by accident. Mm. And I think character doesn't just develop by accident. I think it has to be an intentional thing, something you focus on. I think the more you focus on it, the more growth you'll see. So we're talking about doing the right thing as the theme here and the, the principle that we think applies to these two stories of David and Goliath and the Christmas miracle. And there are two basic things that can be guideposts for doing the right thing. And this is a really simple model. It's not hard to, hard to remember. Um, uh, so if you think of these two things, one is defining your object. What is the objective of your action, of your mission, of your plan, of your project, of your assignment? Any of those things. What, what is your objective? Define that well. And I'm going to come back with just an explanation and some uh, anecdotal uh, information from those two stories. The second thing is identifying who are you doing this for. That kind of aligns with the object. But if you think about the object being what and making sure that what you're planning, what you're doing, has some merit to it. Mm. It is not anchored in uh, selfish interest. It's not a devious scheme. It's not likely to get you into trouble or have any risk of getting you into trouble. Mm -hmm. Doing the right thing is defining, uh, you know, the, the best course of action that will have a good result that could be measured by a hundred people and a hundred people saying that was the right thing. Hmm. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. And are these two kind of the, the what and the who really are, those are determined kind of first and foremost, right? Right. So at, okay. at the outset, so let's, let's just play it back with uh, the Christmas miracle. Okay, yeah. So the what really was providing a manageable review platform for the client. Okay. We knew that if we had offered something that was too big and bulky and difficult to learn, first off, there was a practical time limit. We had very little time three weeks from end to end. So the data had been collected, but it needed to be processed and put into review. We needed a little bit of time to set up the database. We needed time to train mm -hmm. the client on the platform. So already we're losing a few days just in that process alone. And time was very, very precious. So the object first off was to uh, make sure that the system was not going to be too cumbersome, that it was not going to provide any kind of impediment sure. to the end goal, which was really having a clean, uh, integrity-filled production to the SEC 
that couldn't be scrutinized or questioned to any high degree. Mm. Okay, so we basically wanted to avoid producing something for the sake of being produced. Right. I.e. junk. We didn't want to produce junk. We wanted, we wanted a production that would speak loudly and say, this was a good faith effort at getting you what you requested. Got it. Okay, the who really in this case was two parts. One, it was, it was the client mm-hmm. that we were working for directly, but it was also the SEC. Mm. We needed to make sure that the SEC was going to be pleased with the result and, again, that they wouldn't come back all red hot and fiery with a whole bunch of questions right? saying, what are you guys hiding? There's mm-hmm. something funny going on here. Uh, we don't trust what you produced. Try again. Right. Well, I mean, if you're going to sacrifice all this time trying to get it done by this certain date, you know, don't just do it to do it because you're just going to have to do it again and, and make that time all over again. And all the all the hard work and that effort that you put into it is kind of out the window at that point because you have to do it all over again. Right, so, exactly. Yeah. So, again, the object had to be a very clean, streamlined process mm. that had all, inefic- all inefficiency imaginable removed. Mm. Had we decided that this project was a great opportunity for us to make tons and tons of money. You know, we may not have put that down on paper as that's our object, but if that were in the back of our mind, mm. really our object, I think we would have failed. Mm. Do you th- we, we definitely would have failed in achieving our true, what should have been our true object, which was a streamlined system, getting the deadline done, on time, meeting the deadline on time, and making sure the SEC was not coming back with a bunch of questions wondering what we had produced. Sure, sure. And, you know, in all of your years in the industry, do you see that as kind of a consistent, um, I guess, factor in in the overall success of a project like if if money it becomes more of a priority than it should and it kind of outweighs the client's interests do you see that as a pretty consistent detrimental factor to projects absolutely i i think that can always be a snare Mm -hmm. that causes problems um i i i think it's from my perspective as a as a service provider, if if that is the object, I think that's the wrong object. Well, that's why it sounds like it's so important to focus on character and to focus on the the object and who it's for, the the what and the who, because you're right, it is ultimately qualitative. And you know, training our team and and working with our team in in the world of character development and and just committing to growing in that area is going to carry over into the business side of things where we are going into a situation 
that looks more at the qualitative side of things. So that's a good reminder, Jack. We are talking about the quality or the principle of doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And it takes some thought and discretion to figure out what is the right thing. And like I said before, the measurables can be uh, really looking at the end result Mm -hmm. and what you anticipate out of the end result. And if you feel in your good conscience that that end result looks good, it is good, it achieves what you set out to achieve, then you're probably on the right track. Switching gears, looking at the David and Goliath story, yeah, the real object of that project was making sure the client was involved and that they were competent. And we had to train them. And where that project really started was with resistance to an SOP. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to follow a standard operating procedure because that was something totally foreign to them. Right. And I knew that that was the key ingredient to making them competent. Right. If we didn't have an SOP, it would be the wild, wild west. It would be willy-nilly, do it this way one day, do it another way the next. Mm-hmm. We'd be pulling our hair out. We'd probably end up wanting to fire them because we couldn't take it mentally, professionally, emotionally, whatever. Right. Maybe it wouldn't have gotten that bad. But it, I'm, I'm certain it would have been bad, <laughs> yeah. especially with a client that out of the gate says, we don't do anything that complies with a best practice or an SOP. That's just not the way we work. Setting the object in that circumstance was relatively easy because we saw what the threat was, we saw what the problem could be, and we needed to eliminate that. Mm. So first off, you know the, the solution to making the object work, and the object, again, was getting the client involved and making sure they were competent. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we were going to guide them into that uh, realm of competency by setting the stage with a standard operating procedure. Train them in the procedure. Make sure we had the right people in the right seats. One thing I didn't tell you is that the person who said no, no, to SOPs, mm-hmm. had a tangential engagement in the whole process. And that was a little bit by design. <laughs> yeah. Just to to show, just to show this is how it goes. Well, we had, we had an opportunity and we had some influence over who the key leader was yeah. of the review team. And that person was enthusiastic and very willing to embrace working with a standard operating procedure. When that was brought up, she said, bring it on. Uh, I I agree. I want to do that. Those kind of people are so great, aren't they? Well, we we found the the right person for the for the job. Yeah. The right person in the right seat. That's basically what it came down to. And because she had that mindset, she 
built uh, support around her that agreed with that mindset. Mm. Yeah. So she took our lead and led in the same direction. And again, it was building competence. They didn't get it right away. And I mentioned there were 49 productions that we did on that project. But after six or seven, that project was running pretty much on autopilot. Mm. We could do things in the middle of the night with one eye closed and an arm tied behind our back. (laughs) There was so much automation built into it that it, it was really, really became very easy. And it, and it was comfortable for everybody involved. It was do this, do that, here's a checklist, got it, move on, everything looks good, send it out. And it, it was like clockwork. Hmm. We got to the point where deadlines were easy, deadlines were being crushed, they were getting things out before they needed to if right. if they wanted to right, right a lot of times they just hold on to things for a couple of days until the <laughs> deadline approach which is a smart strategy well Why? We, we yeah we gave them control we gave them control over their lives <laughs> the, it, the process exactly and that was that was a maybe not a unanticipated or incalculable uh side effect of what we were doing but that that's a good point i mean that that along with the competence Mm -hmm. that's really what we wanted we wanted the client to have ownership and a level of control over it yeah now here's here's the counterpoint we could have done the wrong thing by coming in and bullying our way with a small firm and saying, you're going to have to rely on us to provide the review team. Right. There's no way you guys will have the competence or the ability to do this on your own. If you want to do this well, you want to do it right, you want to win this case, you're going to need us to take control over the review. Yeah. And I believe that would have netted us much more money, but that would have been the wrong thing in this situation right that's and i feel i think that is a pretty common thing that is out there um of this this almost injected dependency on a vendor or service provider or whatever where we'll get you to this point but we're going to ensure that there is some kind of a hurdle here that you don't quite know how to get over without getting us involved and you mentioned automation, and that's such an awesome thing to provide for, hey, you guys run it. You guys take care of it. We don't, we're not in this to insert our team here and bill X amount of hours for this. We just want to see you guys do well. We want to see your lives become easier and you guys to rock these productions too. And that's kind of how it came out. Absolutely. So an interesting facet of the David and Goliath story uh, that made that so successful is that we made a very intentional strategic decision in the beginning uh, to take this small law firm that had really never done something like this before and put them on the offense. Mm. So how did we do that? We 
we helped with the development of a ESI protocol. So we got to have an influence over that. We had intimate knowledge with it. We knew from that exactly how we were going to scale the uh, project workflow, how we were going to run the productions. So that that put us in a in an offensive posture. Mm, okay. Right away from the get go. And we uh, we also designed to have a very large production go out on the very first run. It wasn't just a small set. It was about 50,000 documents. I don't know how many pages, but back in that day, that was, that was a lot. Right. And it certainly kept the defendants uh, back on their heels or mm-hmm. put them back on their heels. And they pretty much stayed there for throughout the duration. It was the plaintiffs, the small firm that was asking the defendants to clarify answers, <laughs> to provide more documents, to clean up their productions and things like that. So they were keeping them on the defense and themselves on the offense by pushing out big production after big production over and over and over and never raising uh, the, the question that there were issues or problems with their productions. Well, that relates directly back to the planning phase, too, because they also knew they had an SOP to fall back on. They could almost afford to be a little bit more offensive in that because if the defense were to come back with a request or something that kind of came out of the blue, there was a process to rely on so that it could just be batted right back into their court, and then the next offensive endeavor could begin. Right. Kept kind of that pipeline clear. Exactly. And for lawyers, it's important to, uh, you know, let them focus in on practicing law, which mm-hmm. is really their object. You know, it was our job to keep the technology straight and simple and not let that bog them down. Right. But to give them enough information in terms of the SOP and the ESI protocol and so forth and frequent coaching check-ins in the same way. Uh, with that client as we went along. That helped tremendously, I think, in helping them to focus on what they were really good at. And we were working more or less in the background, making sure everything was running smoothly. Right. You know, it's kind of like a a football team situation where you've practiced the plays so many times that when you're out there on the field and you say, we're going to run XYZ play, the wide receiver is focused on getting to his mark and catching the ball and not about, how does that play go again? Uh, do you, do do? You <laughs> look at that same scenario, Jack, from uh, you know bigger level, meaning uh, you know the team as a whole is taking their, their marching orders from the coaches. Mm-hmm. And then the coaches, they, they train them, they teach them what to do, and then it's really up to the team to perform on game day, right? right? They may be down on the field adding some input and, and talking through things as, as they go along. They may be up in the, you know, up in the suites, up in the, in the stands watching over the field, but they don't have direct influence over what's going on on the field. 
I mean, right. it, when it really comes down to it, it's up to the players to perform. And that's really what we were doing in David and Goliath. We were setting that client up to know what they were supposed to do, to give them the, the confidence that they could do it, and then put them out on the field and watch it happen. Hmm. Right. And so it sounds like from both stories, we have a similar theme here where it is all in the planning. It's all about knowing the client, knowing the situation and understanding really what they need. What, what do they need to be successful? What, are the, what do they need to not only be successful in the end result, but also during the process as well so that they're not up till 2 a.m. or uh, stretching themselves thin in one way or another. And that definitely ties back to the character element that we brought up early on here and, and, and the focus on kind of the character of the whole, the whole setup here and, and diving into that and keeping that in mind. How, how does that really tie in here, that element of character, developing character, growing character, and then running a successful process kind of based on those factors? Well, <clears throat> doing the right thing is obviously the, the principle we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at this from the perspective of what the clients needed is the right thing. It absolutely is the right thing in these, in these two scenarios. Um, we paid close attention to that. There was singular focus on that. And, you know, even in hindsight, looking back, we really don't see anything that could have changed just in terms of defining what's important in these two assignments. What, what, did, we, what did we do well? What could we have done differently? And sure, there's maybe little things here and there that could have, could have happened better, but by virtue of picking the right object and knowing that it all centered on what the client needed and having a clear understanding of what that need was, that got us to the point of doing the right thing in a relatively easy way. So not to hit you with a leading question here. I don't want to get an objection for a leading question. Sounds like it's going to be leading. Well, I was uh, my my question is could you say your, that your preface is leading? It, it is leading it leading every, me to leading me to to know exactly what you're going to ask. So, oh, but go ahead. Well, I might surprise you here, but could you say that by doing the right thing and committing to doing the right thing, you're going to get pretty darn good results across the board absolutely i think the math is really simple do good things get good things out that's right it's a it's a garbage in garbage out good things in good things out so you know in reflection looking back on these two stories there are some remarkable similarities between them that i hadn't thought about until i started uh uh, taking notes on them. Uh, so one of the similarities that uh, they both shared was we created an easy-to-function system or a system that did not encumber the client. The client was allowed to do what they needed to do without being weighed down by the complexity of the technology. We did all the heavy lifting. So if, if there was some 
technical uh, aspects that would have bogged the client down. We left that for ourselves to do. Um, another similarity is we kept the client engaged. We gave them ownership over a significant portion of the of the project, and that that made a huge difference because that kept them involved in the process. They appreciated uh, what we were doing. They had a chance to provide feedback and questions and change things if needed. But that that left them invested in the overall process as much as we were. Um, and I'd say a third similarity is that we created some autonomy. So we allowed the client to gain an understanding of what they needed to do, and then we let them run with it. Hmm. I think that's important. I think that's a really important third item in there is is that autonomy. Yeah, two two and three, autonomy and ownership. They kinda they kinda go together, but I think they, they need to be separated. Yeah. Some autonomy because and they, ownership. Because you can have you can have uh, you can have some ownership over the process without really being independent, right? And you may just know the process really well and have some oversight over it, but right. not really engaged and taking a segment and running with it. Uh, you know, as as your own, in effect, business unit. Mm. Okay, so when we talk about defining the object and understanding who's going to be the recipient of the work or the effort or whatever it is we're doing, one thing that's always involved in, a, in an effort are words and communication, right? Mm -hmm. And we really believe very firmly that words matter, correct? Oh, yeah. When somebody says yes, they should mean yes, right? When they right. say no, they should mean no. Pretty pretty simple and straightforward. Mm -hmm. um, I've always been a believer that uh, avoiding ambiguity in your language is a really good practice. Right. To be very clear, crystal clear, to enable the person hearing what you're saying the the ability to clearly understand what it is you're saying mm -hmm. and to not be left with a whole bunch of questions you know sometimes you can in, i think people can intentionally use ambiguity because they don't trust their ability to follow through mm. on what they say and ambiguity gives them an out it gives them a doorway to wiggle through and say, oh, no, 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 no. I didn't mean that. You mm -hmm. misunderstood. Right, right. So in that regard, words matter. But even more importantly, the actions that back up your words matter the most. Right? And that's where, that's where I think you can really test uh, whether you're doing the right thing. First off, the object has to make sense. It's got to logically deliver on what the uh, the intended goal is, and what you know. In the case of a of a vendor client relationship, you've got to identify what your client wants, mm. 
right? And that's really going to dictate your object, all right? Yeah. And then you have words and promises and commitments that are a, are a confirmation of your understanding of that object. And then your actions back up your words. Right. So there's there's a connection and a linkage between defining the object, committing to what you're going to do, and then doing what you said you were going to do. Right. The, the the individuals that you're working with in a in a well thought out and and a, a process that is followed through upon as promised, the individuals that are involved in that will will trust they'll trust in that process then moving forward and it's and it's a certainty it's it's this certainty of i if there's a plan laid out for me i can see exactly how it's going to happen and i know exactly where where we are going to land at the end of this and i feel good about that and i trust in that right and in the end i think that's what everybody really wants that's what everybody where people find their happy zone yeah and they're they're the place where they trust one another, where they trust someone else, and that's you know when when trust arrives, that's always a good day, right? It's a great day. So one of the things that we talked about, Jack, just having our offline discussions about doing the right thing, um, and how uh, actions that support promises are an important ingredient to doing the right thing. We got into the discussion of integrity, right? And that has launched an idea that we're going to be discussing not just integrity as a concept, but the elements of integrity, what makes up integrity. It's a little, We thought it a little challenging to just talk about integrity as a global concept mm -hmm. and and start from there we really have to go down to the root the roots of it we really have to go down to the roots of integrity and talk about what makes up integrity right so that's going to be coming in the near future on the e-discovery base camp <laughs> in case you forgot where you were we are <laughs> at the e-discovery base camp a place where we think uh, good technical competence matters a whole heck of a lot. We also think good character matters a whole lot. So, absolutely, and and part of the reason for digging in to these character concepts is it gives um, you listeners a glimpse at some of the activities that we were doing with the team here, all through throughout COVID. We touched on that before, and that how important it was for us to look at our team, invest in our team, invest in their growth, uh, both technically, professionally, and personally. So that's why we're sharing some of these concepts with you all, because they mattered a whole heck of a lot to our team. We, we've experienced the results. We've experienced the results, absolutely. And the, and the results have been very, very positive. Yes. Individual growth that was noticeable and measurable, and team growth that was very noticeable and measurable. Right, right. So if you're going to take anything away from this episode at all, anything at all, two, two big points from these stories are, one, 
and this happens in the planning phase, one, understand what you're doing, and two, understand what it is that the individual that you're working with needs. And then think about how those two things line up and if you've got a solid plan based off that. Right. You know, something like that. If you don't remember our names, that's fine. But remember those two points, please, because they're they're really important. Well, thanks so much for tuning in this week. I'm Jack, and this is Steve, and this is the eDiscovery Basecamp. Any uh, closing thoughts, Steve? Just our, our typical reminder, why don't you do... Uh, remember to let the people around you know that they matter. Have a great, have a great week. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of the eDiscovery Basecamp. If you have any questions, comments, or want us to cover a certain topic, email us at info@teamctech.com. We'll see you next week.